This is Limit Up, the show where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology so that you can take your trading to the next level. Hello, traders, and welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. Today is Wednesday, May 13th, 2020. Well, actually, it's Thursday, May 14th for you, but we're recording this yesterday. And it's exciting because right now the uh, S&P 500 futures are taking another run at 2800 after this crazy bull market that's been going on through April into May. Uh, This is the first time I think we've seen some real pushback against it. And before, well, first, let me just say our guest today was awesome. Um, Yes. You know, we usually talk to a lot of, that's Dan Hodgman, by the way. Hi, guys. (laughs) I'm here as usual, <laughs> hiding in the corner. Yeah, hiding in Wisconsin. So we'll kind of preface our guests today because uh, we talked to a lot of futures people. But today we're talking to an options guy. It's Kirk Duplessis, who is the founder of Options Alpha, which is a great educational resource. And to get you into sort of the uh, stock market mood, Dan and I were just talking before about uh, how things are shaking out right now in the stock indices. So, Dan, you have some thoughts? Yeah, well, first off, um, you know, I think you, you made the comment, this is the first big kind of pushback we've seen um, in a little while. I'm also looking back at it. If you just go back to um, the end of April, beginning of May, we saw our first, you know, another push against this bear bull market. And if we're going to run just some sort of simple FIB extension off that um, with that move versus where this move can go or a simple measured move, we still have uh, quite a bit of room to the downside here. Um, Simply looking at it, the first place that I see this thing um, really looking for it to catch some support down below is that 2760. If we get below there, then we have some, I think, bigger questions that have to be asked. But, you know, the one thing you always have to keep in mind April was the biggest positive move in the equity markets since 19, I think it was 1974. Um, so huge, huge rally from there. And what do we always say when a market gets a little overbought? It has to give a little bit back. It has to kind of readjust prices. And right now, that's what I'm going to say is happening first before I would ever go ahead and say this thing's kind of turning around. At this point, I'm still seeing it as a simple balancing of price, put it that way. Yeah, I think so too. But one thing I'll definitely keep my eye on, and I will be proven oh so wrong, I'm sure, by the time this drops on Thursday afternoon, but we are seeing uncertainty creep back in and rear, I was going to say raise, but it's rear its ugly head. Rear the ugly head. Rear the ugly head of uncertainty. We had the mayor of Los Angeles are talking about how the lockdown may be continuing three more months. We had Fauci testifying before Congress, uh, putting things in a little bit of a more questionable light. There's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of very rich hedge fund titans are trying to talk down this market. We had David Tepper do so today. And also, there's brand new stuff. So the Senate is looking to essentially sanction China in several ways for 
ostensibly for the way they've been treating the Uyghurs, which is, you know, read up on that. That's a something they should not be doing. It's a very scary situation. But also, they want to dole out some punishment for the coronavirus. And if you want to see how China feels like that, uh, look at what they did to Australia when they tried to do the same. There's a lot of levers that China can pull to make things uncomfortable, especially when it comes to Congress. They can start targeting individual states. You know, China can make it very difficult on people from, say, agricultural states. They absolutely could. And that is bringing sort of a whole new uncertainty into the mix. So I think what we're seeing in these last two days. Oh, and then the biggest thing of all, we see companies doing secondary offerings up here. Zillow did it. We see uh, the Norway. This to me is the biggest. If if I was going to go bare and we don't give predictions on the show, the Norway Sovereign Wealth Fund, which if you don't know about it, is the biggest wealth fund in the world. Basically, they use all their oil to create a national fund that they invest a lot of in equities. They sold about, I can't remember what the number is, either 17 or $30 billion, something like that. Um, they sold here, which is unheard of uh, that much. It's not a ton percentage-wise. The reason being that they need the money now because uh, oil prices are so low and they've been spending so much to combat the public health problems that... They seem to think it's high. The fact that you see these secondary offerings, the fact that you see sovereign wealth funds doing it, these are this is smart money. These are, you know, not people just YOLOing trades. <laughs> <laughs> that would make me a little nervous. No kidding. Um, those are the people that we need to keep our eyes on, what they're doing. And I don't think I would argue any fact of this stuff's kind of overbought. Um, we're not in a position to sit here and say, let's turn these things back positive on the year. Like that's tough for me to accept with everything going on. Jack, you and I were just kind of talking beforehand um, with unemployment the way it is, with the the kind of struggles we're seeing across the country, across the world right now. At some point, something's going to have to break. Um, we can't see the stock market continue to soar exceedingly high if we're running 15%, 20%, 25% unemployment rates. And so I think everyone's kind of of that opinion that this thing is still overbought. Um, I know we've said it before countless times, like we don't want to say the, the bottom is in and I, and I'm going to continue to say, I don't want to say it's, it's in because, well, there's still a lot of uncertainty going on. Obviously we are seeing, you know, LA making the comment about stay at home for another three months. Um, but we are also seeing a lot of economies starting to open up. You know, Florida is a prime example. They've opened up. I have friends that in both in both the Carolinas, um, they've opened up. They're going back to bars already. Um, for a couple of my buddies were in a bar in South Carolina recently. Um, and they're saying that people are out and about. So it's a good sign. Um, the question really becomes for me, is that second wave going to come or yeah. are we going to skate by? If that second wave comes, I think that's the the end for this bull market for sure. I am watching the tab in my browser right now is showing that uh, we're testing a 2790. Yeah, we've come down to 2790 a couple Ooh, times today. It's like a live, you get to hear a, you know, a stale live uh, look at the markets right now. Well, so... Real quick, we'll check this at the very end, but I said looking below, look for 2760. We're at 2785 right now. 
you know, just throwing it out there. I'm not saying I'm calling anything, but I said that could be a level to watch for. We'll check it at the very end. The other thing that we talked about before, and you know what? This is fun. You know, let's just let our, <laughs> let our, freak, our freak flags fly, as we say, Dan, is, um, you know, the futures rallied pretty big last night, as they always do, uh, in part because the patron saint of bulls, Papa Jay Powell himself, was talking this morning <laughs> at 9 a.m., and people were interested to see whether he would put the kibosh on negative interest rates. And he continued to throw cold water on it today. And that's what really started this sell-off. I think it's. I don't want to see negative interest rates because it's going to ruin the banking industry. Like that could really. It makes coming back from this extremely difficult. It'll make stocks go up in the like short term. Short term. Uh, I mean, we could have a whole new financial crisis. You know how do you know? I'm not the biggest fan of banks, or you know, I'm not going to go to bat for the banking industry. I will say that with negative interest rates, it's going to make that very hard to stay solvent. We could have a whole new financial crisis. Without and a doubt. Exactly. I th- what I told Dan, and this is opinion of me and nothing else, is that I think that Jay Powell, he recommended today that there needs to be more fiscal stimulus because I don't think he can keep pumping into the market. He needs to almost politically let, not that he's bound by politics, but the stock market kind of does need to come down a little bit because what Dan was talking about is if he just keeps printing money to make the stock market go up, we're going to get in a situation where there's 20, 30% unemployment and all that money goes straight into assets, which are owned by people who are wealthy. Stocks will be at all time high, 30% out of work. That's could get Doesn't much balance nicely. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we're coming up on 10 minutes here. Uh, <laughs> 29... 60 right now i'm seeing well looks like we're not going to get to it during this intro maybe during the outro we will in the meantime guys uh please sit back relax and enjoy our interview with kirk duplessis all right well i'll just throw on the recording there now that we're done talking about our hair which uh if you're listening out there uh dan and i both have ball caps on pretty much 24 7 because uh my hair's getting nasty, and I'm afraid to let my wife cut it with the clippers. Um, but since you're not interested in that, probably, more importantly, we're joined today by Kirk Duplessis, the founder and CEO of Option Alpha. Kirk, thank you so much for joining us all the way from Pennsylvania. What's up? Super cold in Pittsburgh, but I appreciate being here and love your guys' podcast, so thank you. Awesome. We're excited to have you. What, when you say super cold in Pittsburgh... We're we're Chicago people here. We get we're the frozen tundra. I feel like Pittsburgh just maintains this like constant level of you know ten degrees colder than every other place I'm talking to or, or thinking about. You know, it must be those crappy penguins. It's got to be something. I <laughs> either the penguins or the Steelers. So, <laughs> well, right on. Well, Kirk, you're uh, really I think our first options guy or full options guy to have on here. So we'll be super interested to talk about that. Because I think really uh, what we're trying to do with this podcast is bring everything back to retail trading in some way. And yeah, we usually talk about futures because I feel like that's where we're the most comfortable. So it's kind of a crutch. But um, I checked out your website um, after you reached out to us and it's an awesome resource. I was really uh, finding myself getting involved with those videos. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, that's the whole idea. Just dive in there. So uh, you want to tell us a little about, since we're just meeting for the first time as well, a little bit of how you got into uh, trading or finance? 
Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give the the long story short as as much as I can. So, um, you know, my I, I would say like I'm always a finance guy. I always have thought about numbers and math. Like it just came very intuitive to me. Uh, my parents were both in the mortgage industry growing up, and so you know, math and finance and bonds and interest rates was you know kind of commonplace in table talk. And at the same time, it was kind of a blessing and a curse in that sense that you know my parents both being in the finance industry, we went through serious ups and downs, you know, financially, like great parents love my parents. It's just when they made money, they made money when they didn't, they didn't. And so like my life, like through childhood and and high school and all that stuff was just volatile, right? Is the only word I could describe. And so I feel like I've been on this constant journey to figure out how I can control volatility in my income and, and my uh, portfolio and wealth. And um, so went to University of Virginia, graduated the finance degree, had no clue what I wanted to do. All my friends at the time were going to New York to work in investment banks. I decided why not and went to New York, worked for Deutsche Bank and M&A. Um, totally liked the people, liked what I was doing, hated the lifestyle completely. I think it's totally crap and bogus. I have no idea why people want to do that and uh, put themselves through that. So decided to leave there and went back to D.C. where I'm originally from. I guess I grew up outside Northern Virginia and D.C., and um, worked for BB&T Capital Markets on the REIT side. So uh, liked real estate, liked the idea of REITs. Seemed like it was a cool thing. Wanted to try something different. I thought it was interesting. It was just too slow. And, you know, uh, I, I didn't really jive with, you know, the whole idea around research and being an analyst. It, you know, I, I felt like it was just like a no, no win proposition. Like no matter what you did, either the markets didn't agree or people didn't agree. And, and it was a no win. So um, during this whole time, I've been really, really interested in options. I've tried to do everything. I've realized pretty quickly I'm pretty terrible at making directional assumptions. Uh, I'm pretty terrible at at you know reading chart patterns or or candlesticks or any of that stuff. And so I had to figure out something that you know kind of meshed well with me and and for options. That was it. Yeah, that's what I love about options too. And I think that's a good point you bring up about the uh, directional plays. I don't think there are that many people in the retail zone who are great at directional plays. I feel like there. I, I feel like there are definitely people who are good at it. It's just that's not a skill I acquired, so I, I don't know. Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of people out there who refuse to admit when they are not good at directional option plays, and um, I think there's a whole subsect of them on the internet. You're gonna say something, Dan? Yeah. So um, first off, Jack, I want to give you a hard time here. This is not the first option traders we've had on here. I don't know if you know me well enough. But I've been in the options pit since I was a little kid. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I feel like talking to the guy who's, who, who grew up there. I, uh, you know, only have been down on the floor in the options pit since I was a little kid, traded there myself. Um, no, uh, Kirk, I want to ask you a question because I think that's something a lot of futures traders don't really understand when it comes to options. People are saying, like, let's look for some long-term calls or long-term puts. And that's kind of the gist that they get when it comes to options. So can you dive in a little bit more when you're saying you don't really have to have a directional bias to be successful at them or speculation? I mean, I think it's okay to have a directional bias. I think it's just, you have to understand, or at least the way that I think about it is like, you know, I'm probably going to be wrong a lot. Right. And so what I used to do, like I, when I started, I tried to day trade, right? Like that was the first path. Right. And I think that's the most, you know, the, the easiest path, right? Everyone wants to day trade and they want that quick buck. And, and, you know, like for me, it just didn't work. Right. Like I, position sized terribly. I tried to fight the tape. I doubled down on things when I shouldn't double down on it. I, I did everything wrong. And so when it comes to options, to me, it's more of a systematic play, or at least the way that that's the way I try to try to handle it. So I, you know, the math is what it is. You know, you position size accordingly. You try to go after, you know, some edge that you can potentially find and, you know, you research and test 
you know, as much as possible. And then you try, you try to capture that edge and it's going to take some time. Um, and I think that the directional assumption thing is tough. If you want to have a directional assumption, by all means, like knock your socks off. I just don't think that it's the best way to go about it. Like I would rather be generally neutral, generally, you know, Delta neutral on positions as much as I can. Um, I think as a retail trader, it's insanely hard to do, right? I mean, you, you only have so much capital and you only have so much time during the day. You, you can't be delta neutral at the end of every day, but you can try to work towards that. You know, so for me, it's kind of always a goal, uh, always a destination to ask myself, you know, how can I be more neutral in this move? How can I, you know, try to set my portfolio up so it's not, you know, uber directional unless I want it to be. Absolutely. And I think one of the coolest things you're talking delta neutral here for people that don't understand what that means, basically hedging that position to control your risk so that as that market fluctuates, you can make money either way it moves as well as keeping that risk to a minimum, which doesn't matter what you're trading, whether you're day trading futures, whether you're managing long position, huge positions or managing these options accounts. It's all about maintaining that delta neutral so that your risk is covered. And then that way you're trading your system and not trying to trade out of something. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that oftentimes we, uh, we have this ego about us as traders. And and I know I fall prey to this too. Like we want to be right. And and I even said last night, I was like, I made a trade in, uh, in TLT and bonds. And I'm like, you know, I think the market's going to move. But even though I think the market's going to move here, I, that doesn't mean I can't, you know, or I shouldn't make a trade. And so I still made a neutral trade because my ego and what I think about the market, the market doesn't care. Right. So um, <laughs> at least I've learned that. Right. I try, but it doesn't listen to me. Right. Especially talking about bonds. That thing's just a steamroller. If you try and say it's going to do one thing and you try and fight that, things are going to run you over and it's it's just not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you just even on like the running over thing. I mean, one of the, the big, big, big lessons I've learned, and I would think that I would learn it early. I've learned it earlier on is how much markets can move and how fast. I mean, like we just went through a huge move, right? Like that move statistically option pricing wise should have never happened since before the dinosaurs, right? Like right. it was such a big move and no model assumed that that move would ever happen, but yet it did. And so, and then we got a retracement and a rally that was just as aggressive and just as far. Um, so we have no idea where things are going to go. There's no, to me, there's no real edge in, in trying to pick direction constantly like that. I think it's just a, an uphill battle. That's the interesting thing when it comes to uh, option pricing in general and pricing risk in general is that uh, we talked about this a little bit, I think, last week, but those uh, tails are really thick and it seems every five to 10 years, something happens that would never happen. And I know uh, some of the examples for people listening are that 87 crash where the market lost 23% a day. If that was defined by like your normal, normal, your, sorry, your normal, normal probability distribution, it would be the same odds of, you know, picking a single atom of oxygen out of the atmosphere, like several times over. And it's only in retrospect, similar things happened during the mortgage meltdown and similar things happened last month where um, I saw the other day, a lot of uh, banks and stuff were violating their risk management protocols and stuff. And they're like, we have these limits and, uh, you know, they're only supposed to be hit a couple times a year. And we hit them a couple times last month. It sounds like, okay, well, then you don't. <laughs> You're yeah. not really getting it. Yeah, I, th- I think it's crazy. I mean, that's one of the things I've been like, I- I've been really, uh, I-, I would say, like banging the drum on for the last like two years is this idea that, one, we know that volatility clusters, right? So like that's a that's a given. And so the assumption in all these models is that every day is independent. Well, it's totally crap because we have a memory and like we know exactly what happened, you know, a month ago. So like what we're going to trade now is is obviously dictated by that. And and you have days where I mean it was like, you know, back in March, I mean the market was limit down, you know, multiple days, you know, in the same week. And so 
you, you can't say that independent days happen, right? So all these volatility clusters, and then at the same time, you have these distribution graphs that are based on you know these tails that assume you know all these five delta or five standard deviation, ten standard deviation moves will either a never happen or only happen once in a lifetime, happen multiple times in the same year, and so. Uh, all these models, I think, are are broken to some degree on the tails, um, and I would think that they're they probably overstate the middle, right? So they they overstate uh, how much things just just trade in a range. So how can we take advantage of that? That's my that's my thought. I, I love that thought, Kirk. Let me ask you this: with looking back on this volatility, and I, I would one hundred percent agree with you. It, it, it clumps together, and we have these periods that it's now going to last. And I think personally, I think it creates a difficult thing for traders. I think we get really used to really quick this peak of volatility, whether you're day trading, whether you're establishing longer positions, however you are as a trader. I think this is going to be a tough thing for a lot of traders. When, And I don't want to say get back to normal because at this point, I don't know what that would be. I've never found it normal. (laughs) I've never found it normal. So let me ask you this. As you look ahead and any traders that you're working with and yourself, like what are your expectations? How are you going to plan for, let's just say, volatility coming back in these ranges instead of seeing you know, 500, Dow 500 up, 800 down, or seeing you know, 200 up, 300 down? How are you going to adjust in when, that, when we get to that point? Yeah, it's hard to pick when it's going to happen, right? Because like the last, say, 10 years – everyone knew the market was just roaring higher, right? And it was just only a matter of time, like what's going to be the thing that like pricks the bubble, right? Or at least like, you know, tips off the high valuations. And so now the question is, well, like, okay, now what's it going to be that starts, you know, maybe the retracement or the retest of the lows or whatever, it's going to be higher volatility. It's impossible to figure out what that is. So like the way that I think about it is you just at least have to have protection on the tails, right? So whether that's buying options further out from the money and just like trying to pick up a couple of these pennies right now and like use them as insurance, which is what they're meant for. Or it's, you know, deliberately having a lot of cash on hand. Uh, So I think it's a combination of those two things that would probably be the best, you know, solution. That's the way I play in it. So lots of cash, like I'm willfully under allocated right now. I've got like 10% allocated. So I, you know, like I look at this market right now and I'm like, man, it looks, it looks like we've retraced a lot of this move and everything seems right back to normal. I, I just don't assume it's it's that way, but I still have to trade. I just can't trade everything, right? I, I want to keep a lot of cash and I'm buying like a lot of these out of the money cheap wings because if that move happens, I want to be protected like before. I love that. Yeah, there's a you know, there's a lot of premium in the market right now, so it's very, you know, expensive to pick these directional moves, but you're right about using that insurance. And and I feel like in some in some products, maybe even like gold right now, like gold I feel like has gone through like so much call skew. Where like at some points like the calls are ridiculously expensive, right? And and you got to think to yourself like, man, like so many people are trying to like you know buy this market up and like assume that this market's going to go higher, and yet it trades like dead sideways or lower. Um, so I think that you know there, there's probably opportunities in some cases to to grab some premium on one side or the other, and it's usually counterintuitive to what everyone's doing. Yeah, I stopped trading. Um gold very early in my career. I never I never traded it professionally. We were uh, doing uh, bond spreads and treasuries. But, uh, you know, you read too much of uh, certain online publications or something and you get the, you know, gold bug. Um, I feel like once everyone's buying it, and sure, it could explode at some point if, you know, we ever, ever see inflation or anything can happen. Anything can happen. <laughs> anything, oil went to negative $37, right? So like anything could happen, right? Yeah, anything can happen. But it seems like the more people 
once everyone's talking about buying gold, is that's what I would get in and then get, just hammered on it. Yeah. I mean, I, I only feel like recently, like the two major spikes that gold has had, you saw a lot of call skew where people were just buying an outrageous, not only just quantity of call options, but at much higher bids. And, and, um, and I, I, I've always thought that those, you know, markets are just the ones that are just likely just to trade sideways and, and screw all the people who tried to do that. I think yeah. that's what they do. I every time I buy gold is because I see it on the TV and it gets me excited and I <laughs> buy some more gold for myself. Yeah. So do you trade um, options on pretty much everything? Yeah, I I feel like it's been a a transition for me. So, um, what you know, my thing is like I try to get a lot of data. So, like what we do at Option Alpha is is we try to run so much data through um, through our platform and try to figure out not only just you know scrubbing data just to like clean a lot of data but actually running strategies so i'm a big proponent of you know trying to use back testing for what it's meant to be and it's not meant to be the holy grail to say like oh this one strategy is the end all be all but it's meant to be a, a guidepost like okay generally like this like parameter set doesn't work or generally this parameter set doesn't work um and so for me it's led me naturally to move away from individual stocks personally um and start moving more towards etfs and larger products um, not that I didn't trade those before, but I always felt like I feathered in like the Tesla, the Amazon, the Apple trades, right? Because they were so popular and, and the premium was, you know, really good and very liquid. And so, but at the same time, it's just, you know, so much research that we've done just in the last two years has suggested that these stocks still have such wide, wide, wide tail, you know, extreme events on both sides that it totally eliminates what I'm trying to go after, right? And what I'm trying to go after is, you know, the uh, short premium in the middle, right? Like that's what I'm trying to go after, just that mispricing that I can potentially capture. And so for me, a lot of these stocks are just not good vehicles for me. They could be great for somebody else, but I'd much rather play in the ETFs and indexes. Well, especially Tesla has become sort of the um, interim casino of the gamblers. You know, it's it's just it's just incredible to see the sort of stuff that goes on there. Yeah, and praise to all those guys who got it right in either direction. But like, I I I can't figure that out. So, no, it, it's such a tough stock, and it's um, I would think it's very retail side. A lot of people are getting into this that don't really totally understand what the mar- what they're doing with this market. They hear Elon Musk, uh, you know, on Joe Rogan's podcast. And, um, and this is what he's doing. You know, people have this mentality. They follow um, guys like him and they want to get into this market. They hop on something else and they go buy a couple shares and then they hold on to them for a while. And, you know, it's really tough for those of us that are trying to professionalize this and really find our edge and take advantage of these moves. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's tough too. Cause I, I reply to emails and they're like, well, if I just had bought Tesla at whatever price, I'm like, well, yeah, you could say that about anything that gone, you know, that went up like, that doesn't mean anything, but you didn't, right? Like you didn't buy it at that price, right? And hold it. We uh, we recently did a podcast with a gentleman, Jeremy Newsom. And in the 90s, he saved up some money. He went and bought, uh, what was it, Jackie? Bought Apple, Apple after watching um, Forrest, Gump. Forrest Gump. And he sold it like two years later. He made a good chunk of change. And when I, I asked him the question, I said, if you held on to it, how much would you have? astronomical number, whatever yeah. it was, but he knew right off the top of his head. So very few people can say, well, if, if I bought it, I actually did buy it at that price. The problem is, are you going to hold on to it? Well, Apple very famously has uh, a 10% owner from the beginning who sold <laughs> 10% of Apple for like 500 bucks. And I think he lives like in a, uh, uh, what's the correct term, uh, RV or mobile home now, but uh, still stands by the decision. 
and uh, says it was just the right decision at the time, which I think is profound. But at the same time, I mean, hell, what else? How would you know? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't have known. So tell us a little bit about Option Alpha or how that came to be. Yeah. I mean, Option Alpha, I think, is uh, it's quite a unique little beast. Um, I like it a lot. It, It originally started as just a blog spot. Um, so when I got back from New York and, and just started trading, I knew I had to do something to like, it was just myself. Like I can't, you can't really talk trading with anybody, right? Like even now, like, you know, most of my family, they're like, I don't even know what Kirk does. Like he, he trades, but like, we don't even know what he does. And, um, and and so you can't really do, you know, talk with anybody about it. So I was just writing, you know, little blurbs, frankly, to myself that I go back and review and, um, and it grew a little bit. People started asking questions. I got sick and tired of answering emails. And so I would record a video and like research the topic, you know, like, oh, nobody's really put together this topic this way. So I researched the topic, put together a video. People started asking for all the videos in the right order, and uh, which I didn't do. And uh, so that eventually became courses and training. Now we're at the point now where we've, you know, kind of transitioned the last two or three years to doing a lot of research, uh, a lot of software development. We're partnering up with TD to launch an auto trading platform in the next couple months for options traders, which is super exciting and has been a quite the big project and uh, has taught me a lot about like the software side and the business side of of things um, besides just education and training. Um, so yeah, so that's where we're at. We want to we want to definitely make a big splash in the market, and I think we will um, and try to help out a lot of people. That's awesome. So I got a question for you. Just looking at everything, you you give out so much to so many people throughout this website. I mean, it's incredible. As I was kind of going through it, I really enjoyed everything. Just kind of what's the reason for how much free access you give? Yeah, I, I, I'm definitely a big believer in like the idea that when I started in, and I would say like started in this business, like really started like looking around. I wish I had a resource like this. So I keep coming back to the idea of like, how can we do a better job? And to be totally clear, like we just had a team meeting the other day and we're like, you know, like we're missing a really big opportunity even to organize the crap that we have, right? So like all of the written stuff that we have is still in blogs, which are like dug down deep and you can find them, but like, it's not even organized. Like we can do a better job of that. Um, But the idea behind this is like, I I never expected Option Alpha to be an education place where people would come and pay for training when all the training is totally free. And frankly, you should get a lot of experiences from a lot of different people, right? Um, so my thought with Option Alpha has always been it's going to be research and software-based, right? Like that's where we can gain an opportunity to build a real business is to do a lot of research and to use you know whatever revenue we generate to fund more research, which just is a self-fulfilling prophecy, to fund more research, help more people, fund more research, help more people. And then eventually we came along and started developing software tools. So I think the software tool business is is the amazing side about options trading because it's, to me, it's building tools that I wish like brokers had. I think brokers are like so backwards now. It's like they're stuck in the eighties, you know, like think or swim. And I dare to say I was probably one of the first, they won't tell me officially, but I'm pretty sure I was one of the first like couple hundred people on think or swim when they first launched, like before they, you know, got bought all the publics that like I'm one of the first couple hundred people. And I've been with them for a long time. They, the platform really hasn't changed, you know, like it, it hasn't evolved. And Nowadays, I feel like so much of what we can do as traders on the option side could be automated to a certain degree. We could use back testing to fund automation, you know, to like test an idea and then execute it. I'm like, why isn't that out there? And I, I never knew why. And now we have the ability to do it. So that's what we've been working on. I have a theory on why it's like that. Traders are so stuck in a niche. I, we have all these new platforms out there. There are some spectacular platforms. I've been a TT guy since the very beginning. Uh, ever since I started doing this, 
And I swear for me to look at one of these new platforms, I refuse to want to learn how to do it. Yeah. It, it has to look like it's from 1987 for me to enjoy that platform. <laughs> like, I, I, I think there's something behind it because we're all taught, especially options guys. If you go through a professional platform, chances are you're on option city or you're on TT. Like okay. that's what we had. That's what everyone was trading on. And as soon as I saw something else, someone showed me CQG when I started trading treasury spreads uh, or treasury yield spreads. Um, and all of a sudden I saw CQG. I was like, this is, this is, nah, I don't like this. This is, <laughs> yeah. this is too nice for me right now. I, I got to get back to my yeah. TT. Yeah. So that's my theory on it. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to break old habits, right? I, I think so. Um, yeah. And I think that that's where it comes down to my, my thought is just, you know, it's funny, like the entire options market is still like point and click execution on the retail level. And, and that's frustrating. Like I hate my mouse. Like I can't wait till the day that like I can throw this thing out like office space and like smash it in the parking lot. Right. Um, and I, you know, that's what I'm trying to do for myself. And I feel like a lot of people want that. So we're going to try to, we're going to make a go at it. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I have a, you brought back a memory. I was kind of smiling to myself there. You've mentioned CQG. And I remember we used to use that for charting at the prop firm I was at. We had like, uh, we had a proprietary piece of software that we did the actual trading through. And it looked probably like it was from 1987 as well. But I had to go, did you ever have to go to that CQG uh, training at that building, the birthday cake building in Chicago, Dan? No, I didn't. I, uh, so when I learned, I started CQG, it was the same thing. We had our own stuff that we executed on, but it was CQG was charting because it was, it was top dog charting. And they asked me to go and I was able to get out of it because one of the guys at the office was like, no, I'll teach him. Don't worry about it. We had to go as part of our onboarding and I went there and it was just, I was the only person and it was the, this uh, CQG explainer and God bless him. I, I hope he's still there. He was wacky. One of the <laughs> it was it was one of the more interesting. I'll say you know, great guy. Uh, I'm sure, but it was a crazy uh, hour I spent with uh, this man, and um, I hope he's still doing well. So, that's a good <laughs> great you story. You mean, you mean you hope he's alive, right? That's what you're saying. I, I hope he's alive. <laughs> this, was, this was in uh, 2009. So, I mean, what more can you say for someone? Oh, man, that's uh, 11 years ago now. That's something. Yeah, that's nuts, right? So, sorry uh, for sideswiping us. That's something that I couldn't talk about too much in depth. No, no, like half the audience is like searching right now. Afterwards, we'll, we'll get, we'll, afterwards, we'll get more detail. Yeah, have, half the audience is searching that right now what we're talking about with the platform. <laughs> We'll see. Yeah, that's all, that's all we used uh, CQG for, though. I guess I didn't know, because we just did the proprietary stuff and everyone used CQG. I've never used really any of the retail trading platforms. So I always feel like I'm out of my depths when uh, everyone's talking about the different ones. They're not all they're not all that different. They look they look all the same. They're, it's just figuring out like where to click with some of yeah, them. Yeah. How do I zoom in and zoom out on this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. My first um risk software that we used to use that we inputted all of our all our trades that ran all of our our uh our greeks on it so gamma big whatever deltas whole nine yards it was on a computer that was it was developed in 1993 um and it was my dad's software he had it made in 1993 to the point where i remember when i was still a trading options for his firm in 2017 we were still using the same software completely unchanged and we had to have a custom computer built 
it was like $9,000. It was the size of like two cell phones. Just to connect it. Just so that we could run the software because he refused <laughs> to upgrade the software because he had been trading on that or utilizing that um, that software since 1993. We all had to use it. So Let's go back. My software all has to look like it's from 1993 for me to be comfortable. We'll, not we'll make it your special version. So <laughs> we'll, we'll make it more block format for you. That's perfect. Perfect. That's cool. Well, ha- have you seen a huge increase um, in retail option trading? I know that this last move has gotten a ton of people into the market. And I was wondering if you're seeing an uptick on your end. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like we went from roughly 150 people a day, you know, joining in to about 400 to 450 a day right now, which is crazy. But, you know, like, I think it's funny because I'm just anticipating all the emails that are going to come, right? Like, so to me, there's like this lag of like, okay, people are going to join, they're going to start doing the videos. And, you know, whatever, no matter if they do it here, they're indifferent. You know, a lot of people are interested in it, right? Because they want to figure out how they could have made money or lost less money or whatever. And eventually there's going to come this wave of people who are just going to, again, do make all the same mistakes that we've seen people make, which is, you know, try to shoot for home runs, you know, like 10% a week and all this. And it, and I'm just anticipating that. So we're not there yet. I think there's a lag, but, but we're probably going to get there. Speaking of home runs, we all know that they're not something that we get to do. We get to see every single day. Maybe hopefully everyone was able to get a little bit of, or close to one in these last few months. Uh, when you're entering into a trade, how are you determining your risk and how are you managing those? Yeah. So, uh, well, it's a good topic because like heading into this event, we were pretty public and posted a bunch of videos that we had. And, and it was just luck of timing, frankly, that we had done a lot of volatility testing at the end of last year and a lot of correlation testing. And we're thinking to ourselves like, man, we got to get some like long tail exposure on. I've been wanting to get it on, you know, for the last two years. It's just not enough testing to figure out like what potentially we could have done. So we started in September of last year, executing a long tail strategy on the VIX, which just ultimately ended up working out really well. Um, And at the same time, all of our positions are mostly defined risk, right? So with option spreads, it's actually very easy to figure out what the risk is. So just using the spreads and subtracting out the premium um, can make it really easy. I don't think a lot of people actually go through the math to do that, frankly. Uh, and they take these like really wide spreads or, you know, they have no idea what the assignment risk and positions are or try to do these, you know, elaborate box spreads or whatever the hell, you know, there's, a, sorry, I, I don't know. No, you, <laughs> you can swear. Hold them part as the uh, Simpsons say. Okay, good. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and whatever, you know, whatever they end up doing. And so, um, so for me, like calculating risk is like, I mean, that, that's like one-on-one, like that's figuring out like exactly how much money you should potentially lose and understanding that you could definitely lose that money pretty quickly, right? Not that it's like some arbitrary number, but like, yeah, you could lose that money pretty quickly. So for spreads, it's easier to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I almost wonder with some of these, and maybe this gets a little philosophical, but you know, with a lot of people trading all these options on like Robinhood or some platform that I, I no, it's a game. It's a game for a lot of people. I wonder I wonder if they should let them because you know, mm-hmm. I used to have back and forth with that. I used to have a different uh, you know, philosophical dilemma with the Robin Hood involving the what what they do with their order flows and things like that that you can read yeah. all about. So that's uh was my first thing, but now I see there's, you know, a whole society of people that are I I mean, I don't know if Robin Hood or something and not to pick on Robin Hood should necessarily be allowing so many people to lose, you know, 
98% on options trades in a couple of weeks. It just seems, you know, it doesn't seem great because, and, and a lot, what, what popped that into my mind was when you were talking about assignment risk, which I mean, absolutely. You should know something like that if you're trading options, but right. there's a lot of people that will just, uh, you know, let an option expire and not realize that, you know, it's not cash settled. I mean, you you, gotta, yeah. you have to do it, like, man. Oh, oh crap! I'm stuck with shares of Tesla again. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And then you know, and a hundred shares of Tesla is, as we speak, yeah. worth seventy eight thousand dollars. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I don't know. I go back and forth on that. I mean, I'm definitely. I mean, look, I I think that most people should try to educate themselves as much as possible. Not only just you know like broadly trading and risk management. But like, for God's sakes, like you should know the product that you're trading. I mean, like if you're trading, you know, like in your guys' case, like if somebody's trading like crude oil or, you know, like futures, I mean, like you have to understand, like, you know, what's a real delivery risk in that? And, um, and so I think understanding the product is really important. You know, it's, it's, uh, exacerbated by the fact that a lot of these options trades, at least the way that I see it, like, cause I like comb and watch, I'm very much like a watcher, like a 10,000 foot view. Like I like to see what everyone's doing. And, you know, a lot of people are trading these like triple inverse products or like a VXX, you know, that's based on futures and they have no idea that it's not really, you know, just like an, it's, it's not really an ETF, it's a future, you know, futures play. And so um, I don't think people understand it, which, which is why they need to educate themselves more. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm mixed thoughts on that. I, I am too. And we've made a big push. It's a, it's a standard thing too, with, we deal mostly with futures traders and um, we went through a good, uh, you know, 10, 12 year run where you could um, not know everything about the details of a future besides, you know, as long as you manage the role or had someone telling you to roll things and stuff like that, where, you know, it didn't matter so much. Yep. Until it does. It, and until, <laughs> you know, we didn't, until it goes limit down three times. That was a big thing yeah. with us. There was a lot of confusion around, what the limit downs were for products, like what you could do, why we wouldn't allow you to hold something around there and what the risks were. Um, Plus that crazy thing that happened uh, way crazier than my CQG experience, the oil going negative. Those are things that are features of the product that um, people weren't familiar with. And even the, uh, you know, the CME had to put out a note on the day of when oil was down there Right. See me, see me. I don't think even knew if it could go negative. Terry Duffy got out and spoke and said they had to change all their computer systems to allow them to go negative. So it was almost one of those things where they didn't really know. And they had a, a group, they just, you know, put some, everyone voted in a hat and they drew out numbers and said, nine says, yes, we can go negative. Eight says, no. All right. Looks like we got to change our computers to let it go negative. If, if you're a retail you know, guy who just got ran over by, I get, I get that, that it's awful, but I get it. But there were so many sophisticated players. Like there were brokerages that lost millions and millions oh, of yeah. dollars. Interactive brokers $88 million. $88 million. Yeah. yeah. And they're just the ones that admitted it. I mean, right. That's what I told people too. I was like, they're the only ones who said something. you like, you know, people took a bath on that. And then I think it was China, like uh, some uh, China fund run by the government or something lost a boatload on that for the same reason, I believe. It's just wild stuff. You got to know your product. You really do. 
ultimately, like you take that, you take even just like look at Buffett, like Buffett lost a crap ton in airline stocks, right? So like nobody's immune to this, right? That's no, what he's I lost. He's what did I read the other day? You know, he's lost 50 40 billion, 50 billion at this point. I mean, astronomical number. And he's a big proponent when it comes to these airline companies. If he's going to have to dump this stuff. What's going to happen? Who's going to pick that up? Right, right. And, and my thought is just like nobody's immune to this, right? So like if you think that you have some special like superpower that you you know don't need to understand your product or you can sweep it under the rug, like it's going to creep up and bite you one day. And it's just it may not take you know it may not be tomorrow or it may not be next week, but but it's going to hurt and and you should be aware of it. And I I think a lot of people are starting to realize that. Absolutely, I could not agree more. Yeah, there's a big selection bias when it comes to. You know, it's it's so much fun and interesting to look at people that are right on big directional bets. The story is just better. And I think because of that, we love to focus on it because it's inherently interesting. But, you know, there's a lot of people who made a ton of money on the mortgage crisis who subsequently have had a terrible track record because, you know, but, no, you know, that's not interesting. It really is. Yeah, it's not a good news story. Yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely on your side with this, Kirk, of uh, managing the risk and playing a little bit safer. So, yeah, and I think you have to, you know, I don't, I, you know, I'm, I'll make a bold statement. I don't think volatility is over. I don't think these moves are done. I think, you know, we're just kind of getting rolling here. Obviously, with the reopening of some states and you know, people getting some of their lives something, something back. You know, that's going to be interesting to see how things react. But I think. I think you're in a great spot saying that you're trying to be as liquid as possible right now, hold as much as you can and not allocate too much right away because I think there's still a ton of op- – I have got I get a lot of people calling me friends, family, um, not just people through our program that call me and ask me questions every day about this stuff. And they say, well, you know, I missed the move. Is it over? I'm like, well, no. I, you know, I'm not going to say it's over now, but right now is probably not the time to go ahead and jump in. You have to wait for this thing to give it back a little bit. And I think that there's still going to be some great opportunity for people across the board to really kind of get into this. And I think this is where we as traders get to kind of flex our muscles in a sense and start to create long-term wealth. I think there's so much opportunity out there for us right now. This is a black swan event, no doubt, but also the opportunity for for us to really start to create some massive wealth wealth for ourselves as as we grow. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I think that, you know, both on the the market side and just, you know, not not being so uh I don't know, like head fake driven, I feel like, you know, like so many people like look at this and they're like, oh God, yep, it's all done. All back to normal. I missed right? it. You know, and and I missed it. And I'm like, well of course that's not the right time to get in. Like, you know, even if you're gonna try to get in, like you should space it out a little bit. So I couldn't agree more. And I think that people are starting to, you know, wake up to that realization that maybe it's not so easy, you know, to throw money in. And, and I think this is the ultimate bullish trap. I mean, personally, you know, I look at this and I'm like, man, this is sucking everybody. in. to me, this is sucking in the passive investors who did nothing, saw their account go down 30, 35%. And now their accounts down 10, 15%. They're like, aha, like this, this is what it should do. Like it should always bounce back. And I think to myself, well, like, we're not that special of a circumstance in the U.S. compared to everywhere else that we can't go through ten years of no growth, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and we should we should realize that it's not always a V-shaped bottom. It has been so far, but it's not always that case. So. Yeah, it's been very quick. And two two things that are, I find myself debating this in my mind every day. Two things that are true, and they're both right. 
and they're both mutually exclusive. <laughs> that uh, if you just look at the S and P five hundred, because that's the most you know, that's kind of what we look at a lot for stocks. Is that the valuations are crazy? This could be so bad. There's still so much uncertainty about what could happen going forward. That's why a hundred of them already won't give guidance going forward. That's terrible. That's one thing. It's true. This should go down. The other thing that's true is that these are the 500 biggest companies in the United States. They have the best access to capital, their best position to weather everything, and the best position to take advantage of what comes next. They might be like the only people that could do that. So they should go up. They both can't happen. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. We could yeah, trade around this level for a while too. That's why I'll just be neutral the whole way, 30 days at a time. That's, I think that's what you have to do. You know, you, you, you're covered, you're covering yourself there. That way, you know, I remember during the 2016 election and a little bit before that for, um, or I guess after the, the election was Brexit. Uh, we went into election night. Wait, it was Brexit came first, right? Yep. Then it was the election. Yeah. So Brexit. The election night was nuts. Like I remember watching the futures contract. Best night of my career ever. <laughs> if you traded that, like, kudos to you. I was keeping my wife up. Like, you'll never believe what's happening. You'll never believe it. We, we, we all got on the headsets. We had like the sprint Nextel push to talks for on the floor. We all brought them home. And we all have had our setups on Brexit. And the boss said, nope, every single person get, get as flat as you humanly can. I don't care. What you think is going to happen, you will be flat. We're not taking on any risk until we do. We all go home. We go flat. We watch things move. We're just waiting for the call. Never got a call. All of a sudden on election night, we're all at home. We're all set up, ready to go. Same thing. Flat as can be. Don't touch a darn thing. We didn't. All of a sudden, we start looking at our position, and our position starts changing. So everyone's screaming, who's doing this? Who's doing this? We had no clue. There was like eight of us trading. Find out my old man's at home on his computer going nuts. And we all thought he was crazy. And then all of a sudden he gets in the headset and he goes, all right, get in with me. Start following what I'm doing. Let's go. And we ran it all the way down. And then we ran it all the way back up. Oh, man. We came in the next day. It was, I mean, it was one of the wildest days for me. As a, I never got to experience early 2000s and the, you know, the treasury pit. I never got to, that was, I wasn't there for that. Yeah. But this was the wildest day for me. Um, guys, my dad sent one of the clerks to Gibson's and bought like 150 fillets that guys are eating on a napkin out of their pockets. I mean, it's just wild maintaining that Delta neutral. Once that market starts to go and you get your edge, you can really take advantage of it, but you don't have to be all leveraged out into these positions waiting for it to happen. You can do it slow. You can wait for the move and then you take advantage of it. Yeah, you can be a fast, fast second mover, you know? Exactly. Like, like, you don't have to be the first one, you know? So you can be the fast second mover. Let someone else take the crazy risk in the beginning. Yeah. And then you can jump in. Yeah, then you can jump in. I mean, that move that night, I, mean, I don't know what it was. I don't remember if it, like, about two hours or so, two to three hours, that whole move happened. Um, you know, like, the move down in the back, and, and it was just, like, I literally remember waking up my wife, like, you will not believe, and she doesn't care. She has no, like, she's a teacher. She has no... <laughs> Like I tell her this all the time. She like, it goes right over her head. She doesn't care. But I remember saying like, oh my God, like it's down and it's back and it's down and it's back. It's crazy. And it was nuts. It was absolutely nuts. I don't even think I sat down the entire night. I was standing at my desk the whole time. Like I was in, ha- it was so much fun. Yeah. I can't, I mean, I had a blast. 
Yeah. I love when markets move like that. Yeah. Well, hopefully we experience the same thing sometime in the next uh, couple months or so. Right. That'd be great. I I, I keep on repeating. I, uh, you know, I wish everyone the best, you know, like I really hope that what's going on works and that we can get back to normal and stuff like that. But um, I'm kind of prepared for the worst too. So uh, there's going to be a new normal, right? So it'll never go back to normal. Well, that's depressing. But <laughs> that being said, no, I mean, it is what it is. Kirk, I mean, what's making you yeah. happy right now? We can no, all- I mean, look, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity. I mean, like, look how many people like realize that they can work from home now, you know, and like they don't have to go into an office. But at the same time, like, I look around. I'm so like, glad I'm not in the commercial real estate industry yeah. right now. You, you know, like, there's going to be like, there is no new normal in this world. You know, it's like I told my wife the other day, it's like after 9 11, like, flying at the airport is never the same, right? And so, like, None and that became a normal. Right. And now it's normal, right? So the new normal is here. I yeah. think so. Well, it's hard to go on from that necessarily. You guys are both absolutely right. I was actually, I was looking for, because we're about you know 40 minutes or something. I'm just looking for a segue to kind of lead us out. But I want to say, uh, so uh, let me throw out one thing I'm happy about. Uh, yeah, I am happy to be working from home. I prefer to do it like too. three or four days a week. Uh, it's good spending more time with my wife and my puppy. Um, I've been doing happy hours on Friday with my parents. That's been nice. And it's a good, good tradition to have. So uh, I don't want to feel like I'm like the negative guy. People like, I think it's great. Like I, I like the idea of people spending more time, you know, with their families and, and, uh, and, you know, kids and loved ones and stuff. So, yeah, I think it's great. I've never been able to, I've never, never had a job that I get to work from home full time. I'm finding a way to make it work. And I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying every bit of it. And, you know, I think that's I think that's the positive here. We're learning a lot of new things, and be it just in ourselves or in the trading world. I think uh, I think a lot of traders are starting to learn that they have all this access and how to control those disciplines. I think there's so much positive we can take out of this that uh, you know I'm I'm just excited to see how these markets continue to react and the opportunities they present. And I just hope that everyone is on the right side of the moves. I know they're not always going to be. Um, but you know, you can manage that risk. I think, you know, I, I don't know who it was. I was talking to someone a few years ago, just about the, the, uh, financial crisis guy made a killing. And I asked him the question, I said, you know, there's a lot of people that got hurt in that too. And you know, how do you feel about that? And he goes, yeah, I feel bad for them, but my job is to make the money. And that's what I did. And I think that's where we're We're in that kind of position right now. Like we're, our job here is to keep trading, keep doing what we're doing and make that our normal. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I think there's a, I, I can't wait to see what happens now that the Fed has thrown not just the kitchen sink, but the whole <laughs> kitchen and house at this market, you know? And backyard like, too. Yeah. The, the backyard, shed. like everything, I mean, everything they have, they threw at it, you know? And, uh, and that particular, what was like a day or two days where they're like, you know, okay, it's 700 billion. No, that, you know, we're going to double it. No, no, it's just an infinite, like, you know, they, they just kept coming back, like whatever would work. Right. So uh, I'm fascinated to watch how that plays out over time. So. Yeah, I'm right there with you. People are really uh, giving uh, Jerome Powell some flack for uh, not being accommodative enough. But when the time came to shine, he uh, fired up that money machine and just <laughs> let it loose. Sure. Yeah. So printers are going. Printers are going. Uh, so, Kirk, where can the people listening find more of you? Just everywhere at Option Alpha. That's the best place. Option Alpha. If you want to talk to Kurt, or not, not talk to Kirk. 
read or see his videos. Well, that's awesome. Like, Kirk, thanks so much for stopping by. Um, this is a great conversation. Uh, sometimes the 40 minutes goes by super quick, and I realize it could go on for a while, but I'm being nice to our editors. Uh, it was a, just a joy talking to you. Sure was. Thanks for having me here. Of course. Um, so everyone out there listening, once again, thanks for Kirk coming, and we will see you after this sound effect. Hey, everyone. Thank you for making it to the end of this The Limit Up podcast, ostensibly presented by Top Step Trader. And uh, made that really uncomfortable, very slow. One word break, one word break. (laughs) Well, I'm scrambling my mind because I'm I'm staring at this uh, ES ladder at the same time. (laughs) You know, we have a problem slightly. I know, but you got to live in the moment. Um, so it was a great interview. We just want to thank Kirk so much again for stopping by. Uh, Kirk has actually came to us because he was a listener of the podcast. So, uh, if anyone's out there who's listening to this podcast, who thinks that they would be an interesting guest, uh, shoot me an email at jack at topsteptrader.com and I will reply to you in some way, shape or form. So that'd be fun to get a listener on here again. It would be. I mean, as long as you are not a uh, a real sourpuss, we'd love to have you on. <laughs> if even maybe we'll the nice do a, way of putting it. Yeah, a short segment even or something like that. But um, yeah, check out our YouTube Top Step Trader YouTube channel. Uh, check out the blog. We've been doing a trading one hundred and one series and some uh, daily and weekly updates on this crazy market. Um, yeah. And rate and subscribe us on iTunes so that we can become more visible. There we go. Yeah. I got all those out of the way, Dan. Knocked it out. That was a great conversation. It was nice to sit down and talk with an options trader. Um, you know, the way he described things and explained um, how he's going about it was really enjoyable. And I have to say, make sure you check out his website. Um, so much of his educational content he does for free. Um, he wants to get out there and really help traders out. And uh, I got a lot of respect for people that do that. Yep, he was an absolute joy. And speaking of joy, it's Thursday afternoon, which means we got one more day into the weekend. So as usual, everyone stay safe, have a lovely weekend, namaste, and trade well. The Limit Up Podcast is produced by Dante32. Futures in Forex trading contain substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.